0: We sat through these this interview process, thinking we were writing one book. Ended up with another book, and the the conclusion of the book is Garrett and I reflecting on how much better we are as like human beings. Like we're better leaders, we're better fathers. Like we're better like partners, we're better husbands. Ultimately, like all of those things, aka we're better salespeople.
1: Get ready for brilliant people, brilliant ideas and a regular good time. This is Brilliant Thoughts with Success People editor, Tristan Almada, the show that thinks about how personalities, relationships, and communication shape business success. And now here he is, Tristan Almada.
2: My next conversation is set with this one sentence. Here it goes. Great salespeople are not the most sociable. They are the most socially aware. And that is the conversation that I had with Colin Coggins and Garrett Brown from the book, The Unsold Mindset. Pick that one up. We go into authenticity and that that word, I feel like it's so overused. But here, I feel like I finally got an explanation to what it actually means to be authentic. And being authentic is the key, obviously. Now, they mentioned something that really was the most obvious piece, which is When you want to connect with people and actually sell things, people buy from you based on your imperfections and you trying to get it right by doing some NLP, you trying to get it right by having the right scripts and dialogues is almost sabotaging what you're trying to accomplish as a salesperson that you care because you actually care. You can't pretend. How do you teach that? That's what we're going to go into. Vulnerability is the key. Purpose-driven is the way to go. Pay attention to this one because I took notes. Well, I always take notes, but I took more notes on this one. Welcome back to another episode of Brilliant Thoughts, a Success Magazine podcast. And I've got Colin Coggins. Hopefully I got that right, buddy. And Garrett Brown, both local to me. I'm like, we should have done this in person. But we didn't. Still welcome, guys. Thanks for being on. And you've got this new book that is almost out. It should be out when the podcast comes out. The unsold mindset. As I was digging into it, I'm like, wow, what a what a great concept. Redefining what it means to sell. And most of our audience is entrepreneurs, business owners, and we have a large chunk of them also real estate agents. So I know they're going to tune into this. Where did the idea come from? And was it more from one of you or the other?
0: Uh, where did the idea come from? So I think that the book idea came from both of us. The idea around the greatest salespeople on the planet being the antithesis of who most people think they are, probably came from us individually before we met. And then when we met, we had this, I mean, we sort of had this like love connection very early on, on accident, you know, like we were, we were together at this uh, software security company, Bidium, um, which ended up being acquired by Google. But when we first met, we had come into a conversation around the idea of working together and like why it was so important. And we had different Sort of perspectives on the same concept, which was that, you know, we knew from experience being practitioners, not theorists, that the greatest salespeople on the planet were the exact opposite of who people were saying they were. Like they weren't gregarious, like they weren't like extroverted. They weren't, they weren't knowers, right? They weren't what you were thinking when you heard the word salesperson. They were extremely self confident, right? They could say something, they knew it didn't land, right? They were able to course correct real time. We thought that that was confidence until we realized that it had way more to do with self-awareness and it had to do with like this ability to show up and just act like someone that you're not. And we were finding them to be really socially aware and they were able to talk to people and talking to someone and being like, hey, wait a minute. I don't actually think this person thinks I'm listening. I think this person thinks I'm waiting to talk right? That's not about being sociable. So I think Garrett and I both came to a conversation with like similar perspectives around why the, why this, uh, this industry that gave us so much was still like wrapped in the stigma that we just weren't seeing anymore. Okay.
2: Great. So I, I don't know who this one's going to go to, but so I come from a real estate background, right. And then getting into businesses and tech software and as as I got into this, I always heard, okay, the, the greatest salespeople are always building rapport. They're taking on the right objections because we've trained for objection handlers, right? The dialogue, all that good stuff, and and then maybe even in some cases going into NLP, it's like you know nodding your head or saying no. It's like, is that what we're talking about here, or something completely different? That is absolutely not what we're talking about, and I'm
1: so glad you said that because, as Colin was was answering your first question, I, I was I was thinking about our journey to this book, and Colin and I, when we bonded in that first meeting at Vidium, we weren't bonding over building rapport and handling objections and mirroring and all these kind of things that that we you know it, they have their place in selling, uh, but if they're done inauthentically, they can get really really cringy we were really a lot more focused on the mindset and how these great sellers think. And even with the book itself, you know, we went out, we we realized that we had this passion for like the way, the thinking around sales and why these people were were thinking differently and approaching the same subjects that other people approach, um, but doing it better. And what we ended up realizing is that we, you know, we started out going out and asking salespeople how they approached selling. Um, And we thought we were going to be writing this book about salespeople and their mindset. At the end of every conversation, we would ask salespeople a question. We would say, who's the greatest salesperson that you know? And, you know, we started out interviewing these amazing sellers at companies like Cisco and Adobe and all the big tech companies and and real traditional salespeople. Um, And they would answer the question. And it would typically not be another salesperson. It might be a CEO or a manager, but more often than not, it was somebody completely outside of sales. So they would say, you know, the the cupcake owner at the shop in rural Idaho where I grew up, um, or they might say a, a lawyer they knew or a teacher they'd had. So all of a sudden, and then we would go and ask if we could have a conversation with those people. So all of a sudden, instead of talking to quote unquote salespeople we are talking to people in just about every profession you can imagine. So we're talking to, to army generals and artists and actors and entertainers, um, and we would ask them their approach to selling, whether they admitted what they did was selling or not. And we were just blown away by the similarities that all of these people had in their approach to what they did. And so that's really when we started to get excited, and we realized we were onto something special here. Was that we were not just talking to salespeople about selling. We were talking to the world at large about selling because successful people are successful sellers. We all buy and sell every day, whether we realize it or admit it or not.
0: And I I just want to hit your question head on because, you know, what Garrett's saying is that when we ask people what they think of, when they hear the word salesperson, they say NLP, right? They say Empathy. They say, like, if they're if they're like feeling like you know nice about it, they'll use these (laughs) words. You know, they'll say, you know, like, like like if if they're being honest, they'll say smarmy and pushy and manipulative. You know why? Because the shit is really smarmy and manipulative to try to act like you're engaged. Like, what was so interesting was that we were finding that the greatest salespeople on the planet were mirroring people. Like they actually were because they actually cared. Like it was the weirdest thing ever. Like we were like you come from a world where they teach you how to look (laughs) like you're engaged. And then we talk to these people who are leaning in because they're actually engaged. And so we go there and we're like, wait a minute, let me let's let's back up. When we ask people, you know, what they think of, when they hear the word salesperson, they think yucky and manipulative. And when we ask people who they think of, like when you hear the greatest salesperson on the planet, like the top two answers are Martin Luther King Jr. and Steve Jobs. So there was this like huge incongruence that we were living in. Like why were like why when you ask who the greatest person salesperson on the planet is, they give you someone you admire, but when we ask you to define a salesperson, you like puke in your mouth a little bit. And that those were the questions that we were asking. Like why do you care differently? Why are you leaning in? You know, like why are you talking to us about your purpose when we didn't ask you? And like these, there were these weird common themes across all of them that like we just didn't notice well, until we started the, looking for.
2: What that. was the most surprising theme that you found and saying, "Whoa, I didn't even see that similarity!" Like, like for instance, Martin Luther King and Steve Jobs.
0: I don't. I'm trying to figure it out as I'm talking to you. Like, I want to know. Garrett had, Garrett and mine are different. Like I, I personally, I was blown away when I found out that people were talking to themselves out loud. Like that for me was this like weird aha moment because these people are like hyper authentic, right? So like, like, like we were interviewing like the greatest salespeople on the planet by definition, like sales professionals. And we're like, hey, like introduce yourself. And we interviewed this one senior vice president and the dude is so good at his job that we knew we were talking to a great sales professional. And he introduces himself and he's like, hey, my name is Jason, I'm the senior vice president. And he stops. He looks up at the ceiling, and goes, why do I keep doing this? And he looks back at us and he goes, can we start again? And he introduces himself differently, okay? But Garrett and I, like for this entire time of writing this book, like we're interviewing people, we're not just looking for the good, right? We're looking for where the friction is, we're dissecting, we're trying to figure out where the commonalities are, but also like why they're imperfect, We didn't realize that their imperfections were like their superpower at the time. So we're like interviewing this dude. We get off of this interview and Garrett and I are like, why did we like him so much? You know, like, like we weirdly were looking for the good in him for the last 45 minutes. And that wasn't technically our job. We went back and we looked at the recording and it was those three seconds. It was, we knew that we were talking to a great salesperson, but for those three seconds, we didn't think he was selling us. There was this weird micro moment of connection. He took us on a high, we never came back down. I mean, Garrett, we saw it and like everyone. We've seen it.
1: it. I think two conversations after that, we were talking to one of the top trial lawyers in California and he had the exact same, He, he told us this story. We were not talking about talking to yourself, but he tells us this story about how he's in front of a jury And he's talking and the judge stops him and asks him to repeat himself. And he like freezes in front of the entire courtroom and looks up at the ceiling and then looks back at the judge and goes, your honor, I have no idea what I just said. And the, you know, the judge laughs, the jury laughs, you're laughing like from that moment on this attorney who talk about a stereotype, right? I mean, we're salespeople. We deal with stereotypes all the time. Attorneys deal with with a pretty strong stereotype. But to those 12 people in the jury box, he was suddenly a human being who was as nervous as they were to be there. Um, And so, yeah, it's it's these little things that most of us, when we think about a salesperson or a selling situation, we think of this box that we're all supposed to fit in, and we're supposed to have all the answers, and we're supposed to be smooth, and we're supposed to have the the uh be able to overcome any objection that we hear. But all of these greats, regardless of their industry, uh, were were completely the opposite. They were just giving themselves permission to be imperfect, to be authentic, to be themselves, and that was what made them great. Oh my
0: god. During COVID, it was not. Look. You know, we have we were privileged enough to be writing this book during COVID, I mean, dur- during the height of COVID when it was locked down. And so we would get, you know, hours and hours of Zoom recordings from people that either wanted to support the book or that we were consulting for or that we were on. And so, you know, we had eight hour days of just watching people sell um, during this weird time. This group during COVID across multiple verticals was, they were the underperformers before lockdown hit. And they started thriving during lockdown, like, like doing extraordinarily well when they normally oh, wow. sucked to be at Frank. Right. And then, and you had this other group that we expected to continue to thrive because they were historically the performers and they sunk. And so we thought it was so interesting. So we're like, let's dig in, let's see. Right. Cause everyone's trying to figure out why this is happening to their hitters. And so yeah. All of the conversations, this is to Garrett's point, all of the conversations that we were listening in on to the performers that historically were bad and now they were doing well, they they all sounded the same. They would enter the conversation on Zoom and they would go, thanks for showing up. I just want to call it out. I have no idea if we should be having this conversation Mm -hmm. right now. Like, this is very weird. That's my two-year-old behind me. That's my wife with a mask because we don't even know if we're supposed to be in the same room right now. Like, I'm just telling you, this is weird. And I just want to put it out there. For some reason, they thought that the people on the other side of the Zoom were living through the same shared experience and had the same feelings. So, So they gave themselves this permission to just be raw and flawed and vulnerable. And every single time, the reciprocation on the other end of the Zoom was nuts. They were like, thank God you said that. This is weird. This is my first pandemic too, <laughs> and like you've never seen, you have never seen rapport being built in six seconds. Like you've never seen people become you know, go get from stranger to the same team in the first six seconds because they gave themselves permission to acknowledge they were living through this shared experience, and that's what we're finding in general. Like these people, they're giving themselves permission to like they think that the world or know that the world will give them credit for being just like the people they're talking to, which is imperfect and flawed and raw and normal. And they're like, we used to say perfectly imperfect. Like they're the opposite of knowers. They're the opposite of know-it-alls. And they understand that like, that's not what got them. That's
2: so cool, man. I love that. How has that changed you two in the way that you operate?
1: So much. I mean, in the middle of covid we're where most people are kind of sitting there and 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 struggling and figuring out what's going on. We said we sat down together and we said, you know, how can we turn COVID into an advantage for what we're doing? Like we're stuck here. We can't leave our homes. Everybody's on Zoom now. What? Where's the benefit in this? And one of the things that we realized is that we would have the opportunity to talk to people that we would never necessarily have the opportunity to talk to because we know that everybody's at home. Nobody has to fly anywhere to have a conversation. And so we just started reaching out to people um, about this project. And and we were blown away by how many people said that they would talk to us. Um, And so every single conversation that we had, we we were kind of creating these buckets that ultimately ended up being the chapter of the book. And as the buckets were created, we we would start to tease each other because we would see each other start to like do these things and give ourselves permission to do these things. And more importantly, I think, Colin, one of the things that that these people do, which talk a lot about things like authenticity and being imperfect, as Colin said. Um, you know, that all sounds great, but it's really hard to do unless you build the infrastructure around you to allow yourself and give yourself permission to do that. So I think that's one of the things, one of the takeaways that we personally took away uh, first was like, how do we empower ourselves to give ourselves permission to not have all the answers or to not do the things that we aren't super passionate about because we realize that if we do those things, we're not going to come across as enthusiastic or authentic as, as we would like to be. Um, and so building that infrastructure and surrounding ourselves with resources so that we can do what we love to do best and what we're best at and and let other people do the other things because that's what they're best at. I think that was a really big one, Colin, at least for me, um, in terms of a takeaway that impacted us.
0: We, we we were talking to people that were so passionate about what they do. Right? Like they just like it was it was hard for it not to be contagious at some point. You know, like we we teach this class, like we teach the class is called Sales Mindset for Entrepreneurs at USC. So like we like we teach a lot of this and then to see it like every single day through the interview process, these people that are like, Hey, I, I know what I'm good at and I know what I love doing. And they weren't always the same thing. Yeah, and like, like telling us that they're intentionally ignorant to the parts like of their job that, that don't allow them to show up authentically passionate. And like how that you know we I, and we talk we're talking to them about goals and they're like yeah I guess you're talking a lot about goals but like goals aren't finish lines like they're mile markers let's talk about something interesting let's talk about purpose like, I, I, we we sat through these this interview process thinking we were writing one book ended up with another book and the the, the conclusion of the book is Garrett and I reflecting on how much better we are <laughs> as cool. like human beings. Like, we're better leaders, we're better fathers, like we're better like partners, we're better husbands, ultimately, like all of those things, because we just spent, you know, the last however many years interacting with these people, these people that were choosing to like, live their lives as if this were the best part of the movie. Like, it's like, this is the best part of the movie. I'm not going to act like someone I'm not, (laughs) like, I'm not going to miss out on it. And I think that we have gone to places we thought we'd never go because we were following the lead of people that were giving us permission to be imperfect.
1: Throughout all of this, we, we've always been firm believers that sales and personal growth kind of live on the same plane. All the, all the successful people that we know, no matter what they do, they're great at selling. They're great at selling themselves or their ideas or in some cases, their products or services. Um, And so, you know, that that became really important to us. One of the biggest compliments somebody gave us who read a late draft of our manuscript that ultimately is now the book, um, they said, you know, you could substitute the word salesperson in this book for the word person, because a lot of these mindset principles and tactics and ideas you know, they apply no matter what you're doing. It's not just selling. Um, so that was that was something that that we've really um, appreciated hearing and didn't necessarily realize as we were writing the book. Um, but now that we've been able to see it in practice, especially the uh, Colin mentioned our class, you know, we've got students every semester that go out into the real world and do all sorts of different things. And, and we hear back from them and they are applying the things that we've taught and the things that we've learned in so many different ways. It's really fun for
0: us to see that. And you're, and you're in real estate. So like we, you know, we, we speak at a lot of conferences. We're doing a lot of keynotes and real estate seems to really gravitate towards our message for one of two reasons, either like either people are coming up to us in tears, like literal tears afterwards telling us, you know, you guys know the secret. It has nothing to do with sales. It's like the weirdest thing to hear. Cause we just sat up there for 45 minutes and talked about you know the perspective of how you you know the, if you are enamored with the people that you're talking to that you'll move different right like that if you ask questions that people have never heard before they will ideate for the first time in real time and they will take ownership of the answer but that you you know but but that's because you care differently so you're asking different questions like these are hitters normally right they're they're paying us like a lot of money to get on a the stage these aren't the people that aren't doing well in the conference. These are the people that are excelling in the conference and they're coming up to us with tears in their eyes saying, you know, something that I know that most people don't know, and it has nothing to do with overcoming objections. And look, like I say, real estate is, you know, some of you are on hiatus right now. Yeah. And some of you aren't right. Some of you are like feeling the hardest part about being a salesperson and you have these goals and no one talks about, you know, what happens to you when you don't hit your goals. It's not like people wake up and decide to be like a horrible salesperson, like a, you know, like a sleazy, like high pressure person. That's not what happens. Someone sets a goal. They've they've got a goal. (laughs) They don't hit it. Their back's against the wall and they turn into the person they never wanted to be. And they do the things that they never wanted to do in order to get these deals. And we were talking to people that didn't view goals the same way everybody else did. They didn't view failures the same way everybody else did. And then we noticed that all of them were thinking the same way.
2: Yeah, man. I, I, you bring up such a great point here on caring. I think because when I'm looking at this, I'm thinking, well, you care because you care. You. It's really hard to really teach that aspect if you're sitting there telling me, hey, you're supposed to say this at that part, right? And and if they if they kind of if they're folding their arms, you should fold their arm your arms too. It's like Okay, like what what's going on? That's like what part of that is authentic? And then my question then is, how do you teach this? How do you truly teach? Because it probably comes down to changing the mindset and the whole approach. That is where do exactly you start exactly it?
1: No, you're you're dead on. There's this is what it's kind of what I was talking about earlier, where especially young, new salespeople, when they get into a selling situation, they start to overthink it and they go, I have to act a certain way. And they they read these books that tell them to mirror and to do the things that you're talking about. And instead of actually engaging and having a great conversation with the person that's on the other end of the phone or across the table from them, they're sitting there thinking, oh, I need to fold my arms a certain (laughs) way. And there's just no way to have an authentic connection that way. And so what these greats that we've talked to do is they find ways to get themselves into the mindset of, I genuinely care about this other person. I genuinely wanna help this other person understand their problems and see if there's an opportunity for me to help with that. And the best example I can give um, from the book is that there's this there's a traditional sales training method. You may know it from real estate called the three by three. And what sales trainers will tell you is before any phone call or meeting or conversation, spend three minutes finding three things about the person you're going to talk to that you can use in the conversation. So you might go on their LinkedIn and look something up and and find something that you can use to build rapport, or uh, maybe they had an issue at their company that your company's product can help with, you know, Uh, and, and that's fine, but the idea behind that and the thing that Colin and I don't necessarily like about that traditional training is that it's intended, the subtext is that you're trying to leverage this stuff in the conversation. So Colin and I teach it a little bit differently. And we tell you to spend those same 3 minutes looking for 3 things, but instead of looking for 3 things that you can leverage in the conversation, we teach you to look for 3 things that you love about the person that you're going to talk to. And we realize that the L word can sound cheesy to some people, but we are actually talking about trying to find things that you love about the person you're going to talk to. So instead of going on and looking for that that data breach that they had that your company might be able to uh to help them with, You might look at a charity that they worked with and realize that you have a passion for that that type of charity work as well. Or you might just take an interest in their career trajectory, or you might just like something that they're wearing in one of their profile pictures. It doesn't really matter if it's big or small, but the difference in the way that you will sound picking up the phone and having a conversation with somebody that you've legitimately tried to fall in love with for three minutes before you pick up that phone, you're going to sound different. You're going to care more. You're going to ask better questions. Um, you're going to want to help them more. And the the difference in connection
0: there is really palpable. We've seen it so many times. Yeah, we we go really hard on the the word love because it's such a yucky word for a salesperson to use. You know, so it's like so like we'll be in front of thousands of people and we'll say, We actually want you to try to fall in love with each other. Like try. And they're looking at us like we're crazy. And we do this in our class every semester, too. We're like, no, we're gonna pair you up. You have three minutes, we're gonna give you one hint. What questions do you need to ask in order to actually have a shot at falling in love with this person? You know, and the the outcome of this exercise is always such a fan favorite because you know, you got like the like in our class, you've got the the senior that's about to go into the NFL and like the poli side major who's like a freshman. And we just told them to fall in love with each other. And every single time after the exercise is done and we go, okay, share. They're friends. They actually love each other. And they're like, what I love most about him was that he wasn't afraid to change his major sophomore year. I went through a really similar thing and it's not easy, but when you get to the other side, it's so different. Or I love that she travels. Like it's something that I've always wanted to do. I just started And everybody says the F word, it's fate, it's fate. It's like, it's like, yo, we didn't ask you guys to like ask them questions rooted in what was important to you. We asked you to ask questions to see if you could actually fall in love. And all of you asked questions based on your own morals right? Like what, what you're interested in, like your own history. No, it's not fate. Like you want to care differently, right? It looks different when you're enamored with the person that you're talking to because you see yourself in the person you're talking to and it's impossible to have an adversarial relationship. It's really hard to fake like, like you're mirroring someone and you're leaning in when you're not interested with someone that you're looking at actually reminds you of you, right? There's like this connectivity, these micro moments of connection and look, look, you spent three minutes falling in love with someone, like trying to, you're not going to fall in love with them, but you'll fall in love with the idea of someone. So you'll start asking these questions to figure out if you were right or if you were wrong. You don't talk more, like you talk less. You'll ask the same question everybody else asks, except when you respond, you'll be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That was when you, when your wife was pregnant with your first kid, that must've been crazy. You went through that and they have never heard that before. They're like, you're right. And it was gnarly. <laughs> you know, so this whole love thing, like, I just, I, I want to make sure that for the audience that, you know, it's not an easy conversation to have. Like we've done it in front of like the hardest of seasoned veterans, like salespeople, and they come out the other side of it and they're like, I was always doing it and didn't know, or this is exactly what I needed. Like, cause I was about to burn out.
1: We did it in front of literal veterans. Yeah,
0: we did in front of a military organization. Whoa! Yeah,
1: how did that go? Well, we we had a conversation beforehand because we were planning out our talk, and we said, you know, are we going to talk about falling in love? These this this is a hardened crew. They've seen things that we haven't seen, and and is love going to turn them off? And ultimately, we looked at each other and we said, if we can convince this group, and they, by the way, these were veterans who were now salespeople, um, so they they had a vested interest in in what we're saying and, and having that work for them. So if we can get these folks to to agree that this is a valuable exercise and that, and that they are not going to cringe, then we know we're onto something. And so we did it. We did it on that stage. And after that talk, the CEO of that company came up to us and he said, boys, he said, uh, when you started talking about love, I thought this group was going to bite your heads off. But that is exactly what they needed to hear. And it landed harder than anything else you all talked about today. And Colin and I looked at each other and said, yeah, we're going to have to put that in the book now <laughs> because it's, it. it's just I mean, too good. I mean, we, we you know, there's it, for some reason, people get uncomfortable talking about love and it is polarizing, but we mean it and it works. And so we're really glad that we stuck with it because it's now one of uh, our favorite chapters in the book.
0: Yeah, You know what it feels like to talk to someone who loves you? You know what I mean? Like You, you know what it feels like to talk to someone who doesn't want anything from you? Someone who's just what? Yeah. And that like Garrett and I talk a lot about it. Like everybody wants to talk about empathy, right? Which is just another way of like trying to act like you were, you know, in the footsteps of someone else. But there's this byproduct of empathy, if it's done correctly, which is for people to feel understood. Like that's more important than for someone to feel like you, like you are them. Plus, we smell it from a mile away, and there's a lot of really cool science that Garrett geeked off on way <laughs> too hard during this like research process, like of why we smell it, of why one drop of inauthenticity will spoil the well. I want some of that. Give me some of that. Give <laughs> me you me I mean, there's stuff. all, all <laughs> these
1: little labels. There's this. There's this one researcher who came up with the phrase "schemer schema," mm-hmm. and it's basically the the most layman's way I can, I can describe it is it's why we have our walls up. As soon as we realize that we're dealing with somebody who's selling to us, we immediately think, oh, they want something. They're not being honest. And we put up this wall and there's like this science behind why that happens, mostly because we've been burned in the past. But then um, you also talk about the, the fact that a single drop of inauthenticity can ruin any bit of trust that you've built. So if anybody even senses that you're being inauthentic, that you're saying something that's recited, or you're asking a question that you don't actually care about the answer to, as soon as they pick up on that, any goodwill that you've built to that point is gone. Um, And so it just, it, it, for us, it hammered home the importance of authenticity. And, you know, we realize that the word authenticity is another one where it can be overused and people are like, Oh, just be yourself. And we're not talking about it in that trivial sense. We're talking about giving yourself permission to be you and not try to be
2: somebody that you think you're supposed to be. I love that, man. That's key. There was, I was reviewing some of the notes here from looking at at your book at the pre-launch, um, the unsold mindset. And there was one sentence that stood out for me. And I'd like you to explain this to me. It kind of goes along with what you were just talking about. And it's it's kind of along these lines. I wrote it down. It says um, salespeople are not the most sociable. So great, great salespeople are not the most sociable. And I was like, what? Uh, they're the most socially aware. It goes against what we've been taught in the sales world, right? Because I always thought, well, I'm not very sociable, right? I'm not. And but you know, I see what's going on, and I thought, wait a second. This is really cool. Dig deeper on that because I've always been told originally, "Hey, you're you know you're not you're not that great at sales." And yet, we build the largest community of real estate agents in the world, right? I built it, and it's like there's got to be
0: something there. So, tell me the story here. <laughs> you know, everybody that we interviewed said that I'm not good at sales. We're talking the number. We're literally someone just told us that you were the greatest salesperson I've ever known, and you're introducing yourself and saying I'm not good at sales. What I am good at is all of these things. We interviewed um Jeff Aroff, who was like the senior vice president of Warner Brother Records, and he was a you know chief creative officer or something. He was not your typical salesperson. He also founded Rock the Vote. Like he's just this guy was selling everyone on everything from politics to music to art to Madonna, like an amazing human being. Um, for another story, but like sitting in his house, like Very close to you, like in the Pacific Palisades, like listening to his stories about him being enamored with Madonna before no one else knew who she was. But the point is, is we asked him who the greatest salesperson is that he knew. And he said, Chef Roy Choi. You know that is? He's got like a couple TV shows. He's a famous chef. He owns Kogi. He likes change. He basically revolutionized the food truck industry. Um, you know, the, the movie chef with Jon Favreau is loosely based off of him. He's got multiple TV shows. He's, uh, he's an amazing human being and he gets on and he's this self, he's just, he's admittedly a, an introvert. He's like, I, he's like, I do not talk a lot. And it's why I'm the best salesperson in the room. Cause when I do right, a people give me permission, B like what I say lands, And he talks about how he's lived multiple authentic lives as this introvert. You know, like when he was, you know, from making the TV show to creating the industry to, you know, selling an entire, you know, selling chefs on like being able to to think about food in a more like palatable, digestible way where like everybody has access to like quality stuff. Like this guy was selling a hundred percent of the time. And people loved how he sold to him because he wasn't sociable. You know, he only asked questions that he actually wanted to know the answers to. And he he only spoke when he had something to say. And so, you know, when you think about like someone that's like socially aware or, or, or even self-aware, but not sociable, just, just remember this, like we will say no to people because they're right all the time. You know, everyone talks about like that gut feeling, you know, like wow. this gut feeling. That's us saying, yes, everything you're saying is right. But I don't feel like I'm part of the process. I don't feel like I'm part of the decision making here. You know, I feel like you've just told me that there's no way I could not buy this. And so I'm going to say no, just because you're right. You handled every objection. You you used my words against me and told me that I was going to spend the money anyways and that this was a concern of mine anyway. All these things, right? And that, that this was the time to buy. And, and now I'm just going to say no to you because you're right. These these salespeople, this social awareness are talking about, it's, it's agency. You know, it's like they don't ask questions that people don't know the answers to because it's a tactic, right? Like they're asking questions because they want to know stuff that nobody else wants to know. And then these people answer these questions that they've never heard before and take ownership of those answers. Like these people are so good at having people buy from them, but like no one feels like they're selling them. And like, you just gave it to us, right? Like you created this coalition, like you were valuable. You didn't just add value. You were making other people around you better. Like these are, these are common traits that we're seeing across everyone and there's different ways to do it. You know, there's, there's not a rule book on the tactic. There wasn't a commonality on how they were approaching it. The commonality had to do with they were all thinking the same thing.
2: That's crazy, man. I, I, love, I love this. By the way, I can't wait till your book comes out. And if everyone's listening in and it's not out, please go to Amazon and pre-order it right now. It's The Unsold Mindset. Anywhere else they can get it, a specific website or... They can get it at Amazon or if they want
1: if if it's before February 21st, 2023 that you're hearing this, then you can go to colinandgarrett.com and uh there's some pre-sale bonuses that you might enjoy as well.
2: I love that. All right. So let's dig into a little deeper because now I'm getting the feeling of a little Seth Godin, right? It's like it's not about the sale, it's about the feeling, right? The story. And I'm hearing that a, a little bit here and there as to what you're what you're talking about. What I'm going back to the very beginning when you said Martin Luther King and Steve Jobs. I'm still stuck on that in the sense like, show me how, show me how that works together. I want to see that. what are the what are the commonalities that people say, hey, these
0: are amazing salespeople, and here's why. I think the easiest way for you to 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 conceptualize this is the chapters in our book, you know, like vulnerability, for instance, right? Like not used in the sense of um, I'm, I'm going to leverage the law of reciprocation, right? I am going to be vulnerable and then you are going to be vulnerable back. But take Martin Luther King and Steve Jobs, okay? Like just as two prime examples, like they lead with vulnerability because what is so important to them, right? Is the same thing that's so important to the people that they're talking to. And so the, the assumption that these people want to buy what they're selling already, right? what that conversation feels like is having a conversation with someone that doesn't need anything from you, right? Like everybody feels like they get sold like because they, cause someone wants something from you. But if you already if you were talking to someone who already thought right that you were buying what they were selling, how different would that conversation be? And so that's just like one, one example. That's, that's the chapter in patholo- It's called Pathological Optimism. And there's this great work that like Martin Seligman did on like learned optimism, but it just makes sense. Like people will continue to try if they're naive enough to think that eventually they'll succeed. And so like you look at like a Martin Luther King or you look at a Steve Jobs who would go on to like request things of people that like nobody would ever think people would do right but but they were, they like they were talking to you as if it was a normal ask right to break all the rules as if of course you're going to do that let let's forget the part about me selling you for a second cuz like obviously like you're going to buy this who wouldn't want this this will make your world better and then they go on to have conversations where they don't care if like they sound stupid they don't care if they sound crazy because they already assume you were in right that's just one chapter right that's that's pathological <laughs> optimism <laughs> you know what i mean just just as an example but like everything same team you know like being a teammate and not a coach
2: you know i feel like as i'm listening to you you're teaching you're teaching the listener and me what it means to really be authentic because we hear the word so often but i feel like you're just breaking it down and saying hey Hey guys, this is how you actually get there because we've been so bombarded with ways of not to do it.
0: It's <sighs> scale back. You know what the problem is too? And Garrett hates when I go on this tangent, so I'm not going to. I'm going to keep it. Uh, ev- except, except you're concise. doing oh, it. Except a- he's <laughs> about to do, no, do it right now. <laughs> I'm going to be concise. You can't <laughs> act authentic. Yeah, there are going to be people that are listening right now. They're going to go home and like, try to be intentionally ignorant and try to act like a pathological optimist and try to act like they're in love and try to act like they want to like, you can't act authentic. That's the most concise I've ever been, right, Garrett?
1: It is. And that's exactly what, when I was talking earlier about building the infrastructure around you to give yourself permission to be your authentic self, that's exactly why we talk about that. Because if you're not in a place, if you're in a place where you feel like you have to act, and you're thinking about it, and and you're trying to sound a certain way or act a certain way, it's that's just by definition that's not authentic.
2: But we're taught to we're taught to be inauthentic, right? As we're we're being raised, our environments is like, don't do that. Oh, you made a mistake here. Don't. That's that. People are going to look at you and be like, no, no, no. So uh, breaking out of that to be able to become people that connect with other people better. I mean, where where do we start with that? Like if I'm going into sales and it's week 1 guys, where do I start with this? Well, this is
1: a, it's a perfect tie into your last question too because you know, if we had more time, Colin could have gone on for 2 hours about the similarities <laughs> between MLK and and Steve Jobs. But one of one of our chapters and one of the things that I I would argue the most important thing that they have in common is that they were both purpose-driven. Sure, they had goals, just like every salesperson and probably every person listening to this podcast has goals. Um, But as Colin sort of alluded to earlier, those goals for them are mile markers towards something bigger. And just like with falling in love, if you are purpose-driven and you know what that purpose is and you're able to tie your goals to that purpose, you're going to sound different and you're going to come across differently and you're going to move differently than you are if you're not. And so one of, we kept seeing it with the people we'd have conversations with. We were having the conversation with the, the CMO of a very large global publicly traded company. Um, and literally 38 seconds into the recording of our call, he's reciting his purpose to us um, and talking about its impact on his career and the people he works with and this the decisions he makes. and um, it's we didn't ask him about purpose. We didn't say, Hey, what's your purpose? He just literally was so comfortable leading with that. And and in turn, it caused us to go to our purpose. And, and it was just a great connection all the way around. And we see that with these great sellers and these great leaders that we talk to and interact with and in interview for the book.
0: Yeah. I I found that the purpose, the epiphany for us. I think I'm speaking for both of us. The epiphany for us during this purpose conversation that started popping up all the time was, it became really obvious who was purpose-driven. You know, like we were like we were asking people questions about their goals because Garrett and I are goal-oriented people. <laughs> you know, like we've done a lot of really cool things because we were very intentional about goals and we're interviewing these people and they're figuring out a way to shoehorn the word purpose. And when, when we're asking them questions about goals, and at some point you start to see that you actually, you can tell what a purpose-driven person looks like if you, only if, I think in my humble opinion, if you've actually done the work. So like we've start seeing all these people that have all these amazing outlooks on life and they're all purpose-driven. So Garrett and I are like, okay, let's go deep let's do our own purpose exercise. Let's do research on like the best purpose statements out there. Like, let's start teaching this and like figuring out like what works and what doesn't, like, how do you associate like purpose-driven goals? Right. So that like, like there is a, there's a clear delineation between mile markers and, and, uh, and finish lines, you know, enough of that work. And you know, when you're talking to someone, if they have, if they're purpose-driven. And so I think the coolest, the, the epiphany was, When you create a purpose, like one of two things continually pops up. Either the person that you're talking to, right? Like you see their, you see your purpose in them. Like we don't know you from Adam, right? Like we know you from the boo and we love that, right? Because we have something in common because, you know, we're so cow kids, but like, like we caught a vibe with you before you even, before we even knew who you were because we see our purpose in you. Right. Like our purpose is to change the way that the world views sales by changing the way that salespeople view themselves. Like you're like, we see that in you. So like, how could we not vibe with you? And so you see these people like, and they're like, they're in the middle of a room and they're just so magnetic. And everyone's like, oh, I like, I have this connection with this person. And it's only me that has this connection and everyone in the room feels the same way. And like, how is it that like, I'm like, like, who is, what is it about this person? That's like, just so like someone special. It's that like, they are purpose-driven. So they either see their purpose in you or they see that you're a purpose-driven person too. Either way, when you do the work, you see it in others. And that became this whole other vibe.
1: Yeah. So to directly answer your question, the first thing that we would advise people to do is do the work on identifying that purpose. And like Colin said, we've got a version of that in the book. There's there's things online, but it's one of the first things we do with companies that we work with is make sure that everybody on the team knows why they're doing what they do, uh, because it's easiest it's easier to make all of the other mindset shifts once you've got that purpose identified.
0: It's actually a really fun exercise. Like we do it in every keynote. We're just like, hey, raise your hand if you have goals, and everyone raises their hand. And we'll only keep your hands up if you also. Um, have those goals written down and you look at them every day, about half of everyone's hands go down. And then, but they're really proud, the hands that are still up. And then we go, okay, with everyone's hands that are still up, only leave them up if in addition to having goals that are articulated and you look at them every day, you also have a purpose that's articulated that you look at every day. And almost everyone's hands go down, except for like the two, normally like the hitter and like the CEO, you know? And then we're like, oh, we'll give you, you know what, we'll give you a break. Put your hands up if you have a purpose articulated, but you don't look at it every day, but at least you have a purpose articulated. Maybe a hand goes up. I have no idea how it happened, but like it all, it just skipped over our radar for like all of us for so long. We were so goal oriented and we're really proud of that part of the book.
2: Interesting. So how did you go back to your individual lives and say, well, what, what am I missing here for my personal self? Like, what does
0: that look like? we were celebrating the process, you know, that was, that. that's a big part of the book is that, yeah. these, these, these great sellers look for obstacles, you know, like, like over the arc of your career, at some point you'll realize that like breakthroughs happen when you actually break through something right? like there's a, like, <laughs> yeah, you know, like, like there's so- there absolutely something that needs to be wrong. Right. You know, like Garrett and I didn't meet our wives because our ex-girlfriends were perfect. You know what I mean? Like as an example, like we're, we didn't write this book because we, because we thought that like the sales industry was, 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 a, has God gotten away from the stereotype and has stigmatized us for the last hundred years? You know, so like we just, I think for us, we've, we, we've come to this place where if we could be like learners forever and not be the smartest people in the room, like that's a really, really good life. And like, we expect failures and we anticipate them. And like, there's a lot of people that are going to be really excited that COVID happened. Like, it's very weird. There'll be people that will be grateful that COVID happened because they'll have these opportunities that they never would have before. But that was a horrible situation to have to go through in order to be, you know, find out something about yourself and about what's important to you, you
2: know? Yeah. Very true, man. Very true. What about you,
1: Garrett? I think... Once we realized that we went in and did the work on our purpose and identified what our purposes were, both individually and together, then the hard part becomes, okay, how do I keep this in mind and how do I incorporate this into my day and into my work and into my family? And that was another lesson that we learned from everybody that we talked to as we were putting this book together, which is, you know, they all stay in the gym. And I'm not talking about the literal gym, but I'm talking about doing the work and doing the reps on everything to make sure that it becomes part of who you are and it becomes a habit. And so for for Colin and me, anytime we started having conversations with potential clients or or looking at different opportunities, um, we're lucky to have each other. And one of us might go, yeah, but is that really aligned with what we're trying to do for ourselves and for our profession? Um, and sometimes the answer was no, and we would stop doing those things. And, and a lot of times the answer was yes. So um, it's just, it's really just making sure that you're holding yourself accountable or even ideally having somebody else there to help hold you accountable, to make sure that the decisions you're making are aligned with that purpose. That's a big one for me as far as how things changed once, once we made that call and identified those.
2: All right. So on that, wouldn't it sometimes become a challenge when you come across certain opportunities that are obstacles, but you think, because we all have biases, Mm -hmm. but you think that for some reason it doesn't align with your purpose and you don't see it. How, how do you go through that? Are you asking how, is it hard to say no
1: when you, when you have that realization, or are you saying that you don't even have the realization?
2: Sometimes you don't have the realization because you're still living in, in some type of denial or, or sure. How do you break through that? Because that's where the,
1: that's where the staying in the gym comes in. I think that's where you just have to constantly be asking yourself, you know, and reminding yourself, what is my purpose? And is this aligned with it?
0: I I think it also comes down to the self-awareness that you brought, that you brought up earlier. Like self-awareness is not listening versus waiting to speak. Self-awareness is staring in the mirror and being like, dude, you do not listen. You wait to see. It. Like that's what's right. Like that's what self awareness is. So you know that's yeah. like that's been the biggest gift of all of this is to watch like, you want. Like watching someone like be like. You want to see like a high sales IQ. Look at look at someone who has a high self awareness. Like it is just it's an amazing thing to see, because at the end of the day, like you know, all of this is about wanting people to look for the good in you, right? To look for the good in what you're saying. But but that also requires the the other end, which is you have to be able to look for the good. And so that's not always easy. And and you're not always aware of like when, like that's why it's so cool to have a partner. You know, <laughs> like I could be saying something, Gary would be like, dude, you kind of sound like a victim. And I'd be like, yes, I do. Like, I'm never going to be 100% self-aware, right? It's the delta between when I'm not and when I am. And like, if you can celebrate that, right? And know that so everybody's going to have access to this, uh, to, this, to this content, right? Like, if you want to hear this podcast, you're going to be able to hear it. And everyone has access to the same TED Talks, to the same podcast, to the same books. Yet, in any organization, you know, in any industry, about 20%, are thriving. And the other 80% are trying to figure it out, but they all have the same access. Like all of them are listening to the same thing, but only 20% are crushing it, which is a horrible word to use. You know, only 20% are like loving what they do. You're like, why, how, how are they consuming that information so differently? And that is like, what's so like incredible about like social awareness and self-awareness and being pathologically optimistic, right? Not because you're naive, but just so that you can actually have a conversation with someone where you're not taking from them. Like everybody takes, right? Like, give me value, right? Like, give me this, show me that, like, give me. But like, when are you you adding value?
2: Oh, it's true, man. That's so true. And then you wonder when you're just taking and taking why you're not succeeding or why you suck at sales.
0: Derek, what's our activity, our bank account? Um, That woman, I think it's in the book. She was like, there's this concept Dep- about deposits like deposits and withdrawals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The deposits yeah. and withdrawals. Yeah. Tell me about talk. that. Yeah. yeah
1: there, there, well, no, there's this exercise that we did with a client of ours because yeah. we they came in and they they basically just asked us why, why are we having so many people drop out of the sales funnel? And we did some research, and I'm um, gonna make it sound simpler than it was, but we dug in and we realized that in almost every transaction. They were taking every email they sent, they were asking for time or for information or whatever it was. And on their sales demos, they were they were showing some stuff about the product, but they were the questions they were asking, it was just constant take, take, take. And so what we had them do was we had them print out a, a printed version of every single correspondence that they did with their clients. So email campaigns, call scripts, anything that that was printable, we had them print it out and stick it up on the wall. And then we had them stick a blank piece of paper under each thing with a line down the middle. And on the left side, they had to write down what they were taking, what they were withdrawing in that um, interaction. And then on the right side, if they were adding anything, they would write that. And seeing it up there on the wall where all of these printouts are up there and they see all the things they're taking. What's your budget? When are you going to make the decision? All the things that they were asking for and realizing that they weren't really providing much in exchange um it, that was the big eye opener for them and then obviously the next step of that of that exercise is how do you now shift the balance so that you're giving more than you're receiving um and then once they did that the the entire dynamic shifted
0: that makes a lot of sense
1: man
2: i
0: think some yeah. people need to see that too right yeah it's 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 all this obvious stuff that when you're in the moment It's the last thing you think of. People people just aren't doing the work. Yeah. I don't know. Most of these people. So we were interviewing, like Garrett said earlier, we went to interview the number one sales professionals. Tell us why you're good and tell us who's the greatest salesperson you know. And none of them were giving us sales professionals. It's like, how are you the number one sales professional, like in in the company, like by trade? And when I ask you the greatest salesperson is like, you say, you know the general manager of like Yeezy and the old you know the head of marketing at uh, Adidas or General Stanley McChrystal or Sno- we had a conversation we had a conversation with the number one with with a great salesperson I'm not gonna say his name um, at one of the largest uh, vegan meat companies out there. There's probably a better way to say that, but you know, there's like a couple like big like not meat meat companies out there. Yeah, like impossible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Great. Right. Like that landscape. Okay. So, like one of like the top companies. We interviewed the number one salesperson over there and we asked him who the number who the greatest salesperson was that he knew. And he said John Wexler, who was the uh, the head of influencer marketing at Adidas. He ran Yeezy for a long time, ran Shopify mm-hmm. influencer marketing, not a salesperson right? Like having a conversation with him, right? He points us in like this very weird direction. We're in this whole new universe. Now we end up talking to like Nick Adler, who's like the head of web 3.0 and like Snoop Dogg's manager, like also not considered a salesperson, right? We're like, we end up talking to Snoop Dogg, right? Who like, who someone pointed to him and said, I'm good at selling because I am the most authentic person in any single room. Where'd you learn that from? Snoop Dogg. When we go to Snoop Dogg, Snoop, who's the greatest salesperson you know? My mom. Like, I'm telling you, like, the lessons about being, like, great human beings, like, we're translating, right? The lessons about being great leaders, we're translating. Like, there, they weren't, there there was no difference, There was no difference. Like everybody was selling an idea or themselves and they were doing it exceptionally. And it was completely antithetical to what people are being trained to do.
2: Dude, I I can't wait to read your your book, guys. Thank you. Thank you for doing this. Where do we follow you or learn more about both of you and what you're doing? Colinandgarrett.com is our website where you
1: can see all the stuff we're up to. We are uh, on social media on Twitter, Instagram at Colin and Garrett, and um, find us on LinkedIn, all the usual spots. We're not hard to find and We love if if anybody has questions or anything that we didn't cover or that they want to dig deeper on, please reach out. We'd love to hear from
0: folks. Speaking of authenticity, we're trying to figure out social media right now. So please come and watch us try (laughs) to figure that that out. Definitely, man. We'll send them your way. (laughs)
2: Yeah. (laughs) Thanks, guys.
0: Those are all the brilliant thoughts that we have for you today.
1: If you like what you're hearing, drop us a review or just tell your friends. This has been a success podcast. Head to success.com slash podcast to hear more just like it.